Welcome to Talks at Stellenbosch Uni, Stellenbosch University's podcast where we talk about current topics and innovative research done at the university. Here's your host, Spurgeon Haddon Wilson. So this morning we are joined by Professor Fadil Esop, a professor in the Department of Physiological Sciences and also the director of the Center for Cardio Metabolic Research Center in Africa at Stellenbosch University. Professor Esop is an NRF-rated internationally acclaimed researcher, a former president of the Physiology Society of Southern Africa, the current vice president of the African Association of Physiological Sciences and a board member of the General Assembly in the International Union of Physiological Sciences. Good morning, Professor Esop, and thank you so much for joining us this morning. Good morning to you to everybody's listening. So thank you, Prof. So based on a recent article in the Daily Maverick, in a post-truth world, science is under threat. We need an inoculation against fake news. How serious would you say is the rise of fake news, conspiracy theories, and anti-vaxxers? Yes, that's a crucial question to consider. Um, There's always been conspiracies. It's part of human history and most of them not true. There's a few that were later proven to be true. But we've seen an explosion in the last decade or so, I'd say, or more, in such conspiracy theories, which is linked to the advent of social media platforms. So these uh, fake news and conspiracies can very easily and rapidly spread in contemporary society. So uh, if we focus now in the medical context and we look at the COVID pandemic uh, and with vaccines being rolled out, one can see there's this group, the anti-vaxxers. So these people oppose vaccination for various reasons and uh, their numbers have grown uh, quite sharply. For example, the Center for Counting Digital Hate reported that there's about 58 million such individuals that now have such beliefs and this number is projected to grow. So uh, this is a concern for everybody because false information, incorrect information is therefore spread rapidly and widely across the globe. And if it was just sort of fake news that we can entertain and just dismiss, that would be perhaps we can tolerate that. But these messages have consequences. And so that's quite alarming uh, for the public. Um, For example, we saw one conspiracy that these cell phone towers is linked to the virus, and that led to the destruction of some of these towers. So there's a link between the spreading of such information and actual impact on society. With, with serious consequences. So, Prof, in your article, you say in a post-truth world. So what is meant by a post-truth world? And does this hold any dangers for science? So that's a, a mouthful, that term post-truth. So if we want to look at post-truth, we've got to look at truth. Truth is a reality. It's a fact. It's something that actually exists, you see. So if we look at post-truth, which was the word of the year in 2016, the Oxford English Dictionary, that would mean beyond truth, beyond facts, beyond the reality, 
And in, in a broad sense, it would mean that now public opinion is shaped not by facts and by truths, but by emotions, by feelings, personal beliefs, you see. This now can begin to trump facts. And so policies can be made in this way. Actions uh, follow from this, you see. So we add another term, alternate, alternative facts, which was coined by Kellyanne Conway, who was the former U.S. counselor to former President Donald Trump in 2017, to explain the president believed that the crowds at his inauguration, it was much larger than for the previous president, Obama. Whilst everybody could see from the images, this was totally untrue. And Conway coined the term, no, this is an alternative fact. So which is the same thing. It links to post-truth. That means that it's, it's not, it's an untruth. It's just a fancy way of saying that, you see. And, um, so we live in this world, so it's a dangerous world because it means not only in medicine but in society, in politics, every facet of our lives, truth is mattering less. Facts are mattering less. And we're moving to my emotions, my feelings, my beliefs, and that is sufficient for me to act in a particular way. So if we look at the untruth that Donald Trump uh, put out that the election was stolen, despite losing by a big margin, that resulted in some of his followers invading and storming this Capitol building in Washington, D.C. and causing great destruction. So one can see the consequences uh, of this type of reality we find ourselves in, the post-truth world. Focusing on science... Science is focused on facts, generation of knowledge in a particular manner, and that we can, if we look at the medical context, use all of this evidence, and we get evidence-based medicine. So if we make a decision with clinicians, it's based on all the evidence and say, this is the best tablet to use. That now is under threat in the post-truth world, because there's alternate realities, there's alternative feelings and and views and that gets speedily propagated and impacting on people's behavior so science has got its work cut cut out to to deal with this issue uh, the post-truth world sure indeed as you mentioned um prof science indeed has its work cut out then let's get into the scientific process so could you explain what is meant by the scientific process if we speak about um, science and, and, and the scientific process. Yes, this is important, you see, that we share with the public what this means. And this would help perhaps understand the scientific the way that we generate facts so that the public would be better informed to deal with alternate facts or with fake news and, and, and other mis- and disinformation. Science would start off a basic premise is to prove something is false. And this comes from a philosopher, Karl Popper, his theory of falsification. So in other words, if we take an example, if I want to prove Santa Claus exists or not, the scientific process would set out 
to falsify that. So I've got to prove that Santa Claus does not exist. I'll start from that premise. So I'll do everything in my powers to prove his existence is false. So I could wait at the chimney the whole night and see, okay, does he come down the chimney with the elves, leave the president, uh, the presents? I could wait outside to any sightings of reindeers. I can monitor all of those things, you see. And based on that evidence, if, if I cannot falsify, if, if I can prove this is false, then it must be true. Santa does not exist, you see. This is science goes out with skepticism. We start out with skepticism. And through this process of falsification, we get closer to the truth, you see. And so it's a self-correcting process. Because I've got the evidence. That evidence must be, we call it peer-reviewed. It has to be critically assessed if I produce some new evidence for in, in the medical sphere about a vaccine. That will be reviewed by experts in the field critically. And so we have that information eventually approved, so to speak. And then scientists can look at all of the information together and say collectively, these are the facts. This is the best way to, to look at COVID or heart disease or high blood pressure. And over time, if you take over a long period of time, 100 years, that will benefit humanity such as life expectancy over the last centuries has doubled because of this process. There are better treatments for heart attacks or for cancer. People are living longer. Now, that contrasts sharply with conspiracy theories and misinformation and disinformation. So the scientific process, it's slow, it takes time, it's fact-gathering, it's skepticism, and we set out almost to disprove something until we're absolutely sure, or as best as we can, this is the truth. So you've briefly mentioned um, it, but I think if there's any um, additions you want to add. So this process, scientific process that you have explained, um, how does this compare then with information generated by fake news peddlers, conspiracy theorists, and anti-vaxxers? Yeah, that's the difference, you see. So in that world... Um, so-called experts who are not really experts, they're not into the field, let's say it's about uh, COVID, they're not trained virologists with lots of experience and actually doing research in it and applying their minds within that field, come up with a story or some, in inverted commas, information or facts that they believe it's facts without any, without that skepticism, I said. So a virus was engineered in China, is a story, because Dr. X said something, and there's a little video clip, and that goes viral. And the public would say, have you heard this virus was bioengineered? And they quote Dr. X, and, and, and they found something or some quote or some information, a single piece of information. Did that information go through this process of skepticism? Did that information go through critical peer review? No, none of that. So it's a quick process. You can quickly put that together and it gets rapidly spread very rapidly, quickly to the whole world. And tomorrow there is more. <laughs> Do you see versus the scientific process? It's a slower process. So 
this is what we're up against. So let's take an example. And there's bias in this process. So in other words, that thing I spoke about, the post-truth world, your feelings, your opinions, your worldview. So I come and I say, I've got an inkling Santa Claus exists. And I say, yes, I saw him at the mall. That's my evidence. He was there with a beard and he gave out presents. I saw him on social media. I saw images. I saw him on TV. And the cookies and milk I left at the tree was gone the next day. So he must have taken it. You see, this is my evidence. And I spread that message. You see the difference. This is the skepticism. So this is a problem in the sense because the issue of so-called experts, people who are not really experts, it could be myself, let's say I'm a professor in heart research, and I start pronouncing uh, on COVID-19 and the vaccine. I'm not actually qualified because of my speciality, but I could, in that world, put out a message, and they could say, but it's from Professor Esop, you see. And the public gets fooled. Oh, he's the director of the center. He's a professor. And he said that. But despite lacking specialist knowledge in that particular field, you see. So uh, this is a big issue that we need to, to look at. It's a difficult issue to address because this information are generated. In fact, they found some research shown that there were, were just a lot of the information, the fake news comes from about 12 individuals or organizations, and then it spreads, you see. Um, and actively pursuing this false information. There's also artificial intelligence that can generate fake news and false information. So it's linked to political gain, government sitting behind it. Like with the Clinton election with Donald Trump in 2016, they generated the Russians false information to discredit her, and that spread. But if you trace it back, that was the source. It could be political, it could be artificial intelligence, it could be individuals or organizations setting out with their agendas to send out these messages and influence the public. But there's no peer review, there's no critique. There's a lot of bias because it comes from their particular worldview. And anything else that doesn't fit, you simply ignore or leave it out. Or it's part of a big governmental conspiracy or, or, or some, some scheme going on, you see. So, so no hard facts in this case. Sure. So, Professor, that's actually really scary. So <laughs> how can scientists then be equipped or trained to be better or to better operate in such a post-truth world, like you've explained what's, what's currently happening. So how do we equip our, yeah. our scientists? Or even the public, I would make it a bit Indeed. Broader. I think a couple of things. It's not an easy thing, as, you, as I've explained. These things are spread rapidly, and there's many people sitting behind it. So one would be perhaps the big tech companies. I'm not even, I'm just looking at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all of those social media platforms. The rules at the moment are very loose. They've got a free reign in, in, in essence. And, and don't always act and most often not against misinformation and disinformation. So just to note the difference, by the way, 
Disinformation is where somebody sets out deliberately to spread false news. Like I gave examples, the Russians, whoever. I'm going to cause trouble in that election, and we said deliberately. Misinformation is if I get a message on my cell phone from somebody else, it's false, I don't know. And I just spread it innocently, so to speak, without checking. So these big tech companies have a free run, and uh, there's got to be greater pressure on them. There's got to be greater regulation. There's a lot of good, obviously, done through social media, but we've got to look at ways, and I'm not an expert, to improve this, to have better moral behavior, fair competition, and not just get more clicks. Facebook have now started to roll out some labels where they label particular news or information as fake news, but that's just a drop in the ocean. So that, that must be looked at. Then we've got to look at how do we communicate with the public? Scientists, like I'm doing now with the public, to explain the scientific process. We've got to be honest and be less arrogant, I would say, where we, the scientists, know and the public are ignorant. That's not on. So we've got to engage with the public in a more, with more humility and a more open way and a more of a dialogue and to listen to the public's concerns, to listen what they've got to say and come in and explain the scientific process with its flaws. It's a self-correcting process, as I said. It's a human endeavor, and there's going to be mistakes made. We will get it wrong sometimes, but to explain to the public that gradually over time, we refine the information and we get to the truth, or closer to the truth eventually, to be honest and open and frank with the public. We've got to continue to engage with the public also at another level in terms of dismantling fake news and conspiracies, which is hard. If you engage with conspiracy theorists or anti-vaxxers, it's a very difficult process because they are set often on their worldview. So that may be a hard process. It may be better to focus on the undecided members of the public and then to focus just on a few key facts. Don't overload the public with facts, one or two facts. Don't repeat the myth and the conspiracy and just focus on this is why it's beneficial to go for a vaccination. Because the anti-vaxxers have succeeded. In some countries, surveys show, like in France, not a lot of the population want to go for vaccination. So we've got to continue to engage with the public with uh, the undecided proportion, I would say. Then I would have the media also. We've got to look at the media training um, and, and look at to inform them, not to sensationalize if a scientist comes with a finding. Scientists find cure for cancer. That's, that's not on. It's just a headline. It will sell uh, papers. It will get more clicks, but it's not truthful. So to better train uh, our journalists that how we report responsibly. These were the findings, these were the limitations, the scientists said, and these are some of the weaknesses. It, it won't be as a dramatic headline as it should, but uh, it will be more truthful and, and help in this process. And in fact, I've been asked now to work with our journalist students because of this article and some of my insights and share 
from a scientific perspective with them. Next month I will do this, some honest students, how to approach this issue. Then in terms, the last one of the training of science students, technology, engineering, even medical students, I think we've got to look at this a bit better. Our students in these disciplines are trained to be specialists in their subjects, and that's that's good. But we have to equip them with additional skills because they now have to engage in the post-truth world. They've got to engage with Dr. Google, the patient who comes to you and, <laughs> and argues and debates. They've got to engage with the University of Google where people look up and come with their particular views. And one way to do it is we've started now in our department, I've rolled out a honors course module that would deal with some of these issues I've discussed now and discuss this with the honor students. And they've never encountered this. These are science students in their training up to this point. They told me afterwards uh, when I spoke to them and they found it very insightful, engaging, and they felt they better rounded and equipped to deal with the post-truth world and with fake news and, and, and disinformation now than before the module. And I think the plan would be to strengthen this module and to roll it out across other disciplines within the university. But those would be the principles to, to, to apply and to begin to tackle this issue of misinformation, disinformation, fake news and conspiracy theories. Sure, sure. Professor Esok, thank you so much for educating us on this. This was really an insightful conversation. And just um, while I'm reflecting on what you what you spoke about, it's also my responsibility to be more cautious and um, to think about what I um, read and how do I act on on what I read in papers and etc. So thank you for also opening my mind about that. So. Prof, it's a pleasure. <laughs> good luck on your work and it's important work and we, we really thank you and your colleagues for educating us continuously. All of the best and um, take care. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Follow all the latest Stellenbosch University news at www.sun.ac.za or follow us on all the largest social media platforms.